0: And we are live from the vast wasteland, the dangerous wasteland of the Biden administration in the Empire of Lies. We're a bastion of free speech and open debate in that vast wasteland of the Biden regime. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan. This is a backstory. And patriots look out, and by patriots, I don't mean someone who loves current America because there's very little patriotic about that. But if you love your country broadly, especially the ideals it's founded on, the ideals, not some of the practice, we've got a great show for you today. Two Fine Americans. Rod, do we have Mark in up first?
1: That's correct, Mark Mark Kikorian, 435.
0: Okay, in the first hour, we have from the Center for Immigration Studies, one of our favorite think tanks, the only anti-illegal immigration think tank in existence in Washington, D.C. Other people cover immigration occasionally, but CIS is full-time on it. Mark Corian, the leader of that group, has got a great new op-ed. And we'll be talking about the caravan that is down in Mexico. And we we'll talk talking about some of the Americas and how stupid foreign policy is excluding the countries that we should be talking to most. And we'll talk about that. Then in the second hour, a great American, Tyler Nixon, one of our favorite guests, and we'll be talking about the threat to kill Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice, and how the Democrats have caused this threat and we we'll are taking your calls, 202-521-1320, on the Backstory. Now, Rod, when I talked to you earlier, you had not yet heard uh, about the guy with the knife who was caught outside Brett Kavanaugh's house down the street. He wasn't right outside the house, but close enough. Who said his goal was to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Now, have you looked in that story a little bit, Rod?
1: Yeah, I have, Lee, and um, it's funny that you know you talked about you got specific. You said with a knife. As soon as you told me, and we, you know, we hung up, and I looked it up. It said that he, that the guy had a gun. I saw it on, uh, I think it was CNN, and I was like, why would they say that when you, you know, what I mean, you already told you, and you told me it was a knife, but they said it was a gun. I guess they corrected it later on.
0: They want to make it gun violence, right? Oh,
1: you no, you're right, because. I was like, you told me specifically it was a knife. You just said it again, so that's the second time so I know you weren't wrong about it. And the first thing I saw was a gun, and I was like, well, did Lee get it wrong? And, but then, you know, you, you're pretty sure, you're, you know.
0: If I got it wrong, then, multiple reports got it wrong, die read early in the morning, what? Uh, pretty much when this broke. They cut the guy there last night. Now, one thing I've noticed is, and we can't prove otherwise, but I have noticed why I think is downplaying this in the media. Have you noticed that, Rod? A little bit. This is being downplayed in the media.
1: Yeah, but you know the the reason I think they they're doing it is because we got a clip in the second hour. It's because Jen Sackey said that the that Biden himself was okay with uh protests outside the judges houses.
0: I think that's part of the reason. I think you're absolutely right. And we'll play that clip later. And it's eerie given what's going on. I think the the Biden administration has basically allowed this to get to this point, right, Rod? Right? Because they've been encouraging people to protest in front of Supreme Court justices. But let me also say, I think it's personally because a lot of people in the media, if Brett Kavanaugh were killed, God forbid, by some maniac, do you think there'd be a lot of tears cried at the Washington Post or New York Times? Be honest, Rod. Of
1: of joy? Yeah. I think I think there would be a lot, a lot of tears of joy.
0: A lot of people would say he deserved it. And it's karma. And it's karma for what he did to Christian Blasey Ford. Right? Am I wrong? Or would they say that?
1: No, for sure. They would say that. You know, they they say he's a rapist.
0: Yes. And do you think there's any evidence of that, Rod?
1: No, not at all. I mean, you know, we went through that that whole trial, I guess you could say it, and it was just it was just ridiculously. I mean, someone's what 30, 40 year memory of something and just couldn't you know recite any recite any facts of it? So no, or well, any corroborate.
0: I disagree. it's a memory. Even that implies that something happened. I don't think she had a memory. I think she had a story, and she had no cooperation from the story, right? None whatsoever. Speaking of no cooperation, remember that Ukrainian woman who was a human rights ombudsman I've been talking about the last couple days? She's the one who lied about the Russian rapes. She did an interview recently. Did you see that interview with her? And she admitted why she did it.
1: No, I didn't see it. I haven't seen that. I mean, you, I mean, like you said, even in the media when I when I was uh, searching it to uh, write it up, that <laughs> you know they were downplaying the whole story as well. They were just like, oh, you know, no confidence votes or uh, Ukraine fires. It's human rights. You know what I mean? They never said why.
0: Yeah, but you can find it's hinted at because they can't. They they euphemize it, like saying she mishandled information. They don't come right out and say she made stuff up, but it's hinted at in the articles. They can't come out and say it because that would make Ukraine look very bad. But she admitted why she did this. She was—and why—if you had a guess, Rod, what would you think? It's, It's pretty obvious. It's nothing that's going to be a shocker to you. But why would you think she made that up?
1: Um, I guess just to change the news cycle, because so many, you know, so much damage that Russia was doing to Ukraine, and they were also taking so much territory. That's just my opinion of how I see it.
0: Uh, you're close. She said she did it to make sure that other countries did the right thing in regards to Ukraine. In other words, she lied for weapons. Right? She knew if she accused Russia of atrocities, it would sound better. Well, we have to get weapons in there. You see what I'm saying? And she admitted that.
1: We got be- to believe all women, Lee. That's the that's the uh, the liberal narrative. We got to believe all women. So
0: yeah, no, there's a lot of parallels. And and by the way, uh, but back to back to Brett Kavanaugh thing. I think if Sotomayor had been threatened, if a guy with a knife had been outside Sotomayor's house. This should be reported very differently. I think the media would cover it a lot more. Now, again, I can't prove it. It's conjecture because God forbid, I'm, I'm glad Sotomayor was not threatened. I don't want anyone threatened, but I don't see Brett Kavanaugh. It's okay if it's him, and that's the media's sake. Is this kind of okay? What well, think you, Rod?
1: It's just like the uh, the baseball, the Republican baseball practice, you know, where the where the the guy from the SEIU shot up the field, and I know I know you got up there pretty quickly too. So you and Shane got up there. I mean, the media doesn't it didn't it didn't even happen, Lee. And I know your YouTube was taken down. So, you know, it never even happened.
0: Yeah, that shooting at the baseball field at the time I was living in Arlington, right down the street, and I was doing what I do which is, I live a really weird life. I'm basically listening to the news 24-7. Ask my poor girlfriend. And I explained to her, I said, I apologize. This is my life. And so I was looking at the news living in Arlington with Shane, my son, and former co-host of Paul Lines. And I was looking at the news, and it suddenly broke. And it said it was a park in Alexandria. And I checked where the park was, And I saw we were like five minutes from it. And so I immediately said to Shane, this is five minutes from us. We should go there. So we cut an Uber real quick. I said, call an Uber and let's go. So we hopped in the car and got down there very quickly. And you're right. That was by an acknowledged Bernie Sanders supporter, right? It was someone who was living in their car outside the park where the baseball field is. And he wasn't. It wasn't conjecture. It wasn't a guy who had Sanders mentioned in his Facebook page. He targeted Republicans because he didn't like them because he was a Sanders supporter. But that narrative didn't make the news. Now, on the other hand, did you see Kyle Rittenhouse uh, on Tucker the other night?
1: Yeah, I did. I did see that, Lee.
0: Yeah. So Kyle Rittenhouse. First off, like the Brett Kavanaugh thing, a lot of people lie, lie about him. But I've noticed that if Kyle Rittenhouse were killed, a lot of people would be happy. They'd say he deserved what he got. They ignore the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse 100% clearly acted in self-defense. You've seen the video footage, right, Rod? When I say it's 100% clear, the people who he shot— were trying to shoot him. Have you seen the footage?
1: Yeah, I've seen the footage. I've seen the the uh, tweets and a Facebook post that the I forget the guy's name who was on trial, you know, who admitted that he would try to shoot Kyle Renhouse when he pointed his gun at him, when he shot his arm, I forget that guy's name. But yeah they they clearly wanted to kill him. You know what I mean? They they were very explicit about it. And then afterwards on social media as well.
0: And and then because they found him not guilty because it was clear it was obvious that it was self-defense but no one cares and they'll say stuff like well kyle rittenhouse went to a protest with a gun so he deserves it well what about the people who tried to kill him am i missing something rod did they not go to the protest with a gun
1: well one of them is a uh was a pedophile and so you know the left likes to protect people like this, the the extreme left, um, and that it is what it is. That's why, especially when that came out, you saw people really get upset that he would, they would shoot, you know, that he shot and killed one of these guys who was a pedophile.
0: And the tie-in to me is that there are certain people that the media more or less brands as might as well kill them, right? They they wouldn't be so upset if Trump, they died. Trump's one of them, too. He, number yes. one. Clearly. And obviously, January 6th thing is coming up. The goal with that is to keep Donald Trump from ever becoming president again, which is the one thing I'll say in favor of Donald Trump becoming president. Let's get to the phone lines. 202-521-1320. Ingrid in D.C., thanks for calling. What is on your mind, Ingrid?
2: Oh, At least a couple of things. I have very mixed feelings about this um protesting at the uh people's houses. For several months now, there have been every two weeks there's a group that has done a vigil, a Sunday afternoon evening vigil in front of Merritt Garland's house, uh on behalf of Julian Assange. And I know people in that group. There's kind of an elderly group, four of them showed up this weekend in wheelchairs, but um Anyway, yeah, it's it's, it's very um, strange subject. The, the the other thing I'm wondering is, have you heard anything from Larry Johnson on his um, evidence that and Alexander Chalupa flew as of uh, battalion people here for January sixth. The only people who could possibly be interested in bringing this to light would, in fact, be Trump supporter type Republicans, because um, anyone, anyone who, you know, the normal like anti-war crowd, they're they're on the left. And and they want to, you know, they don't want to reveal that this had provocateurs coming all the way from Ukraine. So have you heard anything about that from Larry?
0: I've talked to Larry. But I think that's coming out soon. They may be waiting for the January 6th hearings to start before they bring that out. I'm not sure. But Larry confirmed to me that that is a lock and that they have the evidence that Shalupa brought a Ukrainian Azov Battalion member over to be at the January 6th proceeding. Former DNC operative, Ukrainian-American actress, Alexander Chalupa. He confirmed for me that they have receipts. And that was the main question I have, because it's not my story. And I don't want Larry to be able to break it the way he wants to. But uh, I agree. It should be a major story. It should be a significant story for the whole. If we had an honest press, this shows DNC coordination in setting up January 6th. Why would they bring an Azov Battalion member over? But this cuts against about four Democrat narratives. First off, on Ukraine in general. Second off, on Azov Battalion being Nazis. Third, on the DNC being involved in shenanigans. Fourth, about certain parts of Russia that Alexander Zuboff was involved in. What I also know for sure Alexander Chalupa has flown people over before. I've reported and I played a tape of it. A guy named Errol Schwartz, he goes by the name Yanni, too. Errol Schwartz was brought over by Alexander Chalupa to try to keep Trump from taking office. And Yanni said, he told me in an interview that he met with people up on Capitol Hill. Marcy Captur and... uh, uh, I'm forgetting his name. Who's the guy from Minnesota, the former representative? Al, Al Franken. Who? Al Franken. No, no, no. Ellison. Keith Elson, yes. Thank you, Rod. That was a good guess, but no, Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison met with Yanni, and they're trying to keep Trump from taking office. And she paid for that his trip over here, and Yanni told me that, and I've been on audio. So it's not surprising that Alexander will be involved, but that's what I know, and we'll be sure to have Larry on the show as soon as it breaks, but I'm letting him break a story his way. So that's the answer to that. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. 521 1320
3: Tarif, what is on your mind? Thank you, Lee, for um, taking my call. Thank you for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free drawing signs. I have, like, a little comment. It's like I've forgotten you had the hearings going on for these weeks dealing with the January 6th. Um, I know I said this last week. Um, I think it would probably be a good time for people that want to leak out information that's in the government that's so-called that's in a deep state or you want know, to leak out information on, like, um, corruption that's in the government right now to show the hypocrisy that the government have while they're going after certain individuals, but not everybody that's corrupt. If you do that, then people can see the difference between those two, and I'm understanding what y'all are saying, that the information with Larry Johnson's going to put out Was going to come out in that last, next week or so after the meeting is over. And I remember I called for last week for people to start leaking information on the small fish, the small players that's in our deep state. You know what I'm saying? Well, people can see what they've done, and, and it seems like Larry Johnson is doing it. He's standing up with some other people doing it. Now we need other people to stand up and start leaking information. Things don't get done unless we do it. It's not like it's going to... Do, um, fall out the sky and it's going to happen. we got to make it happen by exposing these people. Thank you, Lee, for taking my call. That's all I want to say. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for calling, Sharif. And not to be slightly crude, but the problem is Larry Johnson dropping this information, even if it's, and I believe it will be, because Larry's a serious person. I believe it will be 100% vetted, and they'll have it proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's going to have the same effect excuse my crudity, of a fart in a hurricane. And Rod, do you see what I'm getting at there? Not about <clears throat> farting in a hurricane, but my metaphor.
1: Yeah, I know what you're saying. He's, he, Larry Johnson's uh, facing the uh, media complex, you know what I mean? And, and he, like you said, if he has uh, 100% foolproof evidence of Alexander Chalupa, and I think he does because, you know, another person involved in this whole Ukraine group would be Evelyn Farkas, who before Trump was even inaugurated, she admitted that they – the Obama administration was uh, disseminating uh, information across all agencies, and you know, tr- trying to wash their hands of the whole spy gate. So I, I, I 100% believe that he will have this evidence, but it won't do much. Uh, but it, you know, we, like Tarif said, we still need more people to keep doing uh, the right thing.
0: And I think the the situation is, I think a lot of people will see it and will understand the meaning of it. Because they'll read it on sites like Gateway Pundit, and that's one thing I did yes to Larry. He writes over at Gateway sometimes. We've Jim Hofstra's freaking guests on the show. I said I think he should get to Gateway. Because uh, do you think Jim Pavlosa, P- P- B- Rod, from what you know about Jim, he'll he'll put it out there, won't he?
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. He's actually posted the picture of the uh you know of the. Ukrainian operative that's been flown over here. I forget his name. I can't pronounce it off memory. But there's many pictures of him at January 6th uh, at, and other other Democratic events. And so, um, like, like I said, he, I think this Larry's got 100% foolproof evidence. But will it do much? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think so.
0: And here's what it will do, though. Let's be realistic about this. If, if it gets up on Gateway Pundit, if it's published there, I'm going to be conservative and say a million – do you agree with that, Rod? A million people will see it.
1: Yeah, so, I'll go, yeah, I'll go with, with at least a million. Yeah, that'd be the. the-
0: right. Right. And I'm being conservative, not politically, but with the numbers. Um, at least a million people, that's a lot of people, will see it and will be convinced by it. But the million people will be ignored by the media. And I'll tell you what else will happen Breitbart News will ignore the story just watch Breitbart will ignore it and largely I think Daily Wire will ignore it Daily Caller Chuck Ross may put it out but he may not it's about 50-50 and and I've said this before Andrew Breitbart will be disgusted by what Breitbart.com has become this is not what he wanted. he won original reporting you wants stuff that took on the Republican establishment. So think about this. There'll be a million people who know the truth. Uh, a, lo- a lot of people will see that and go, well, why isn't that covered? But the mainstream media will completely ignore it. And furthermore, they'll go on making that side seem like maniacs, insurrectionists, seditionists. And what we have now is a huge imbalance in this country. We have a lot of people who know the truth. Not just one or two. I'd say you know millions on all kinds of stories. There were there were millions of people who knew the truth about the Hunter Biden laptop story. Is that fair to say, Ron?
1: Immediately. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Right. And so so picture this. Millions of people know it, and it wasn't getting covered, and they were getting censored on social media. That's a lot of people, and that's a weird situation historically where you have a significant minority. We're about 10 days from having David Icke on the show. A lot of stuff that David Icke's been talking about, the Bilderberg Group, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission— Secret societies such as Skull and Bones. Millions of people know that now, and they're not wrong. In fact, I'll tell you. Even okay, Rod, have you heard of Operation
1: Northwoods? Yeah, of course. Yeah, many times.
0: Right, and, and you say of course, and that's what I was hoping you'd say. What do you mean by that? Is it's not controversial? because the government released actual information on Operation Northwoods. This is an attempted false flag operation in the 60s that was proposed to the Joint Chiefs of Staffs where they were going to do a false flag in order to get Cuba into a war. And they talked about hijacking a plane and swooshing the plane out And getting CIA people on the plane, and then swapping the plane out, and so the plane never would land, and they could blame it on Cuba. Right, Rod? You've seen the paperwork, right? This is not a crazy theory. This has been proven, beyond a shadow of a doubt, correct?
1: Oh, yeah. I've seen documents. uh, uh, I've seen the memorandums of Operation Northwoods. So, yeah, this is 100% fact. You're not making this up, Lee. I know some people might might have maybe heard it as a rumor or something, but no, this is 100% fact.
0: And anyone who thinks it's a rumor, I could go to the government's own website and show you the proof. And yet, the reason you said, oh yeah, of course, is because millions of people know that that's the truth. But there's still, even though there's sort of been uh, acknowledgement by the government... They publish papers that show the planning documents. Even though that's acknowledged by the government, they don't come out, and it's not part of the history curriculum at your school, at your
1: kid's school. Right, Rod? <laughs> no, not at all, Lee. Your, your teacher probably would uh, discourage you from looking at that stuff.
0: No, right. And so this is a bizarre thing. Now, on the immigration thing, this is another thing where millions of people know the truth partially do the work of the Center for Immigration the Center for Immigration Studies in DC, CIS.org. And we'll have the executive director of that group, Mark Corian, right after this break. we'll be talking about the migrant caravan on backstory. <laughs> Are back on the backstory and in the empire of Lies, we are on the radio in the washington dc area at 105.5 fm am 1390. joining us now mark Kakorian. from and mark if you forgive me ever since my stroke the name of your group was somewhat of a tongue twister but i can get through Kakorian. so yep. center for immigration studies for some reason the M's close together in immigration screw me up every time. But, Mark, welcome to the show. How you doing? Well,
4: I'm doing fine. First time anybody said my name was easier to pronounce than a bunch of regular words, but that's good to know. So thank you. No,
0: no. no. And, and it, I, don't, I can't explain it. I, and you know what happens? Because I know I have trouble with it sometimes. Uh, I try to slow myself down, and that makes it worse. You ever focus huh, okay. on pronouncing a word, and then you can't pronounce it?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like when you are you say something for me, I say something over and over again, and then it starts to sound like it's wrong, even though it's not wrong anymore, you know? Anyway.
0: That's that's exactly right. So let's talk about this migrant caravan. And I, there's a migrant caravan, about 10,000 people is the number I've read, Mark. is that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean, I've seen
4: numbers all over the map, from 5,000 up to 10,000. There was a piece that said it had shrunk down to 8,000. I'm not sure anybody really knows, but it's thousands of people. It seems to me that's, you know, for our purposes, thousands of people is enough. You know, we don't need it to be any more specific than that.
0: And so before we talk about this current caravan, I want you to go over when the caravan first came up, the first one, when was that? Probably about uh, 2019. Was that the first? 2018 was
4: the first one that got a lot of attention. That's I mean, there may have been and- some smaller things before that, but that was the there were in fact. But the one that really got the news and everything was 2018. And there were like they would show up in these towns in Mexico and they'd have mariachi bands and all that stuff, um, and giving people sandwiches and all that. And then it got people really, Mexicans really got tired of it. Cause remember, these are all foreigners. They're not Mexicans. They're from Central America, they're from Haiti, the Caribbean, South America, some are from Africa. They're from all over the place, but they're not Mexican. So they're traipsing through Mexico. And, you know, the government's not super motivated to do anything about it, especially with Trump not there. I mean, Biden's there and, you know, Biden's not, they don't, they don't scare, they don't fear him at all. In fact, the president of Mexico just blew off Biden and snubbed him and isn't coming to this summit of Latin America that Biden organized in Los Angeles. But regular Mexicans, you know, these people, they're sort of cousins. They speak the same language, culturally similar. But, you know, after the first and second and third and fourth and eighth and tenth caravan comes through your town, at some point it's like, yeah, okay, enough is enough. Get these people the heck out of here. They don't want illegal aliens tracing through their country really any more than we do.
0: Well, no. And and so we'll talk about that in one second. And I'm glad you brought up The Summit of America. We'll talk about that, too. But do I remember correctly, in 2018, was this dismissed by the media as a conspiracy theory? Do I remember that correctly? I mean,
4: there was. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was some coverage of it. But
0: yes, because
4: because President Trump talked about it, because remember, he was saying, look, there's this, uh, you know, caravan and we have to stop it immediately all of the standard media and the Democrat politicians and everything said, it's all, this is all just, you know, made up. Uh, Just a few people who happen to be in the same place at the same time. There's nothing, there's no caravan, there's nothing here to see. So yes, it was basically dismissed. I don't know if conspiracy theory is the word. They were like saying, well, this is just a phony scare tactic to gin up you know, the uh, gun-clinging deplorables like us. And in fact, that's not what it was. It was very clearly intended by the left-wing groups who uh, tried to put this together as a political challenge, both to Mexico and to the United States.
0: Well, and my theory, Mark, is a lot of people who are worried about immigration like to call it an invasion. And when you've got, you know, a family, let's say, going through the desert, it's hard to call that, except, you know, in aggregate, an invasion. It, you can do it metaphorically. But when you've got a group of thousands of people all together, that looks and feels like an invasion. And I think they were saying – I'm sure they used the term conspiracy there just because they use it all the time as an insult. Right. And, and, and I'm as just saying – I was going to say, yeah. as
4: far as the invasion part goes – there has in fact been a push to get the governor of texas to formally declare this an invasion as as provided for in the constitution because the constitution says that states can't have you know they have to rely on the federal government to uh, for defense purposes except in cases of invasion and so the question is is this invasion, in the sense, is used in the Constitution, you know, I'm not sure that politically that would work out for us, but some people are saying, uh, Abbott, Governor Abbott should, if you will, pull the trigger on that, and immediately then it would end up going to the Supreme Court, and, um, you know, they would then, uh, have to deliver a ruling as to whether, if it's an invasion, then the Texas authorities would be empowered to take these people into custody and throw them back into Mexico. Right now, they're not. They can arrest them for trespassing, um, but then they have to let them go after the, you know, whatever, 30 days in the county jail, and ICE won't take them, and so they end up letting them go anyway. So, I mean, the invasion issue is a legal question that's kind of interesting and important. We'll see if it, you know, bears fruit if they actually go through with it.
0: And I think also the caravan Part of the reason it's, it should be frightening people is that it is organized by a lot of groups that have ties to America. A lot of these pro-legal immigration groups, they're funding this. You don't get a group, an army travels on its feet, shall I say. They are making sure they're fed along the way. Right,
4: Mark? Yeah, I mean— it doesn't be, I don't think there's that much money involved here. There's probably some, and it's clearly being organized to a degree. There's some this particular caravan is organized by this lefty group. I'm not even sure how much of a group it is. It may just be one guy, called the Center for Human Dignification. At least that's the Spanish, you know, in whatever it is in Spanish. And then, you know, there are regular lefty, hard left groups, and there probably is some money involved, but these illegal immigrants, remember, they bring money with them, you know, to buy food and what have you. And they are attracted to these caravans. They don't have to go and recruit people. They are attracted to them because it's a way of not having to pay smuggling fees. And it gives them a kind of safety in numbers. If there's a whole bunch of them. It's harder to have some bandito come and steal all your money. So, I, you know, I don't think it really requires the level of funding and coordination that a lot of people imagine they do. There is, there is coordination, they are organized to some degree, but I'm not sure how much of a difference that really makes.
0: And also one of the areas of coordination is with the pre-showing up publicity. In other words, the defense, there was a very organized defense of these caravans saying why they're okay saying that they're either not real or sure but it's people who are refugees for instance and that's not technically true they're not refugees under the definition of refugee that re- was required at the border correct mark yeah yeah there's
4: no question that there's all kinds of people willing to defend them i mean of course it's the same people who said what their line is there is no caravan, but they're all refugees. You know what I mean? It's like, well, take your pick. Yeah. But again, I, that, I don't know how much coordination is required because what you have there is people, all of whom, whether these you know, anti-borders groups in the United States or in Mexico or whatever, they all hate borders and quite honestly don't like America very much anyway. So they're more like bees in a hive. They all have the same instinct. They all think the same way. So when there's some caravan developing, you have these lefty groups in this country saying, oh, great, here's another one. America's evil, come and, uh, you know, this is a great thing to challenge the capitalists, blah, 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 so that they love it. But, um, you know, this is just kind of a natural thing for them to defend and promote these kind of challenges to American sovereignty. They, They hate American sovereignty.
0: Now, I understand this current group, it's mostly Hondurans. Is that what you
4: heard, Mark? Yeah, mostly Hondurans, some Guatemalans, and then a whole smattering of everything else, Whoever, whatever illegal immigrants happen to have been around in the Mexican southern border town on the border of Guatemala called Tapachula, which is where the Mexican government tries to bottle up all the illegal immigrants who come over. So that there's all kinds of people from whatever, I don't know, Mauritania and Haiti and you name it. And so a lot of people will tag along. But the big numbers seem to be Honduran and Guatemalan.
0: And is that the southern Mexico? Is that Sinaloa? I don't know. No, I Sinaloa, is, uh, that's,
4: Sinaloa is like in west central Mexico. This is the um, state of it's uh, Chiapas, which is right on the border. It borders Guatemala. And, uh, and there's a river in- there and they and they wade across the river or take a raft that kind of thing
0: and a lot of them made it up near san diego to tijuana correct a lot of people a, there's a lot currently on the border in tijuana correct
4: yeah absolutely now most of those folks from tijuana this is interesting though the ones who sneak across from guatemala and then come up and you see in caravans they're mainly going to texas because it's a thousand miles closer than tijuana with people in Tijuana, some of them are Central Americans and what have you. It does happen. But a lot of them are people with a little more money, Venezuelans, Ukrainians, whatever, who fly to Tijuana uh, and then just walk across the border there because it's a lot farther to get to Tijuana. South Texas is the closest point to Central America. And so, you know, why go, why walk or travel an extra thousand miles?
0: Well, there's currently a summit of the Americas going on. In another Mexican city, I believe it's called Los Angeles, California. right,
4: yep. The interesting ahead, thing is this is supposed to be a summit of all the Americas dealing with a variety of issues, including, obviously, immigration. And who is who refused to come to this? Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. The four countries that are sending the biggest share, the lion's share of illegal immigrants across the border basically gave President Biden the finger and uh, you know, aren't coming. So what's the point of this thing? It's basically a whole thing is a real embarrassment for Biden, one more embarrassment.
0: Well, and I think I think Biden brought some of it on himself because they they're saying they're not showing up because Venezuela, Cuba, right. and I forget what what the other country Nicarag- is?
4: Nicaragua.
0: It's Tommy country, but right. Biden excluded Cuba and Venezuela from it, and that's the response that Honduras and Guatemala and Mexico. And I think whatever you, if you, you don't like Cuba, that's fine. I I don't like Cuba, but if you're going to have a summit of the Americas, you to me. You have to have a good reason not to include those countries and you lose your bargaining position as soon as you say we're excluding those countries. And when these countries threaten to not show up, I think the Biden administration, I, I don't see what the point was. Bring people. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, just as a this is even just kind of like a competence issue. You
4: know what I mean? In other words, if you're going to yes. what you do is you do pre planning with these countries and you tell them, look. Uh, you know, we decided we're not going to have Cuba there, and Nicaragua and Venezuela. What's your government think of that? And if they say, "Well, we can't come," then, well, then you rethink what you're going to do. Um, I mean, they seem to be surprised that all these countries are blowing off Biden. Well, I mean, this is totally apart from the, um, you know, the the policy questions. This is just an incompetent way to run foreign affairs. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello in the State Department. I don't know what's going on.
0: Well, I think it also shows, you, you you mentioned some of these groups as leftists, and I agree with that. But also, it shows that the Biden's position is a liberal position, a neoliberal position, and that the real leftist governments like like Cuba, they want to exclude them. And I don't see who they're scoring points with, right? Yeah, because well... I don't know. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying that no Republicans are going to go, well, they executed Cuba, so yay Biden. And on the other hand, I, you see what I'm saying? I don't know who, yeah. they, who they're who they appealing to. But again, to. that that underlines my point
4: about these guys are just they seem to be just fundamentally incompetent. I mean, you know, maybe the Three Stooges is the better example. And if they're going to be talking about migration issues, which is a big part of this summit, not just that, but it's a big part of it. Well, guess what? Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua are, are three of the countries that are increasingly sending illegal aliens across our border. It seems like that's the kind of thing we do want to talk to them about, you know?
0: No, exactly right. And uh, now I've talked about this a little before, but the impact in America, if, if I say, what does immigration affect? I would say immigration seems to affect every single issue from the economy to healthcare to education. Is immigration one of those issues that's so broad that touches on – I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but I can't think of a major issue in the country that doesn't affect. Mark? No. Yeah. I mean, you're,
4: you're right. It's, it's, in fact, it's almost like – I don't know. It's like a meta issue. Uh, In other words, it's something that affects every other issue. And in a sense, that's not surprising, because what is immigration? It's adding people, strangers, from outside to America's society. Well, if the problems we face are problems of, you know, that relate to us as people, well, then you add more people, you're going to have an effect on all of those problems. How couldn't you? Whether it's jobs, whether it's education, assimilation, national security, whatever. It's all of it. Uh, Immigration can't not affect those. If you have low levels of immigration, legal or illegal, anything, just lower numbers, it's still going to have an effect, but it's going to have a lot less of an effect. We are now at all, we have the highest number of immigrants ever in American history. We have almost, we're just a couple years away from the highest percentage of immigrants in American history. How could that not affect Everything in our country.
0: That's right. And and so I've been saying for a while, this is a meta problem that is not going away for the Biden administration. There's no white knight who's coming in to solve this. Now, let me ask you first off, I've noticed one thing with a lot of people on the left. They seem to think America's unique in having an immigration system, and every country on earth has an immigration system right, where they don't let people in, just randomly, they don't have borders, and furthermore, getting the country's is one issue, but working in the country is a second issue. Work visas is a second issue. So America's not unique in having an immigration system, correct?
4: No, I mean, how could it be? Because in a sense, having some kind of immigration system is almost the definition of having a country, because a sovereign country tries to have some say over who comes into that country. When you, Any place you fly to, you go through you know, the immigration checkpoint. They look at your passport, they stamp it, whatever it is. That's all immigration policy. Now, not every country takes the huge numbers. In fact, no country takes the huge numbers of people from overseas to come and live here every year that we do. But that's just the kind of immigration policy we have. Every country in the world, by definition, has an immigration policy.
0: Now, I'm curious about your opinion of a system that some countries have. I, I know for one, New Zealand, and most of you know that. A few years ago, when they were making the Lord of the Rings film, I was working in Hollywood in visual effects. And the country of New Zealand was trying to get visual effects people to move down there and they were offering some financial incentives. So I looked into New Zealand and I found they have a point system for immigration. I'm sure you're familiar with it. They basically yeah, have and- you go through and and say, if, you, if you've got a high school diploma, that's, I don't know, like one point, but if you've got a, a doctoral degree, that's 20 points. And they add up the points, and the more points you have, the easier it is to immigrate. What do you think of the point system? And I, am I basically describing it accurately, Mark? Yes, I mean, that's, uh, yes,
4: you are. Australia and Canada have something similar. Often you get points for knowing the national language. In Canada, if you know French or English, you get points. Uh, your age matters. If you're too old or too young, you get fewer points. But if you're in like prime working age, you get more points. So, yes. They, and then basically, is however, you get more points, you're more likely to get in. Um, the idea is clearly has an appeal, but for me, it's based on this premise that we should just be letting people move here just for the sake of it. Um, you know, most people who move here are going under my, you know, idea, if I'm emperor would be people who marry American citizens or, or a baby adopted by an American citizen, as long as it's all legit, but that's a lot of people right there. I don't know that we need more people beyond that, unless they're you know actual Einstein immigrants. And I, you know, if you use a, po- a point system and set a really high bar, you know, so that you're actually getting the top people on the planet, and there's a relatively small number of those people, then that makes sense. It's simpler, cleaner than the Mickey Mouse system we have now. My only fear is that you know the people who are pushing that often want huge levels of immigration they just want to pick them differently and for me i need numbers i want numbers to be lower and the secondary concern for me it's not irrelevant but it's secondary is how we pick them because if we have very small numbers of immigrants even if we pick them in a stupid and bad way the numbers are so small it won't matter as much you see what i
0: mean yeah yes i do i think the good thing about it is you could it gives you a nice sliding scale where you say, this year you require 100 points, and next year if things change, you could require 80 or 120 or whatever. Oh, absolutely. So that's one and, in that-
4: Canada, that's what they do in Canada, for instance. My concern, though, is then you get the Chelsea Clinton administration at some point, and then she says, well, you know, 20 points is enough. You know what I mean? So, you, I mean, um, yeah. you need to have some kind of backstop with some kind of numerical caps to prevent, because whatever you write in the law, if you get an administration, like we have one now, that doesn't believe that immigration law is legitimate, literally, they do not think it is right to have immigration limits. They're going to try to undermine a system like that any way they can. And um, there's a limit to how much you can protect yourself from that. But um, that's something you got to keep in mind.
0: Now, let's not look at this for a second. From an American perspective, because this immigrant caravan—that's a lot of a lot of people are in Mexico right now, and they're in camps in Mexico—talk about what this is doing to Mexico for a second, for just the effect on Mexico. Yeah, I mean, this is this clearly has an effect on Mexico. I, down in the
4: south of Mexico, the interesting thing is, even before these caravans, there were actually a, there was a fair amount of Guatemalan illegal aliens down there. Because Guatemala is right across the border and much poorer than Mexico, uh, and I remember one of our uh, one of my board members was a professor who studied Mexican politics. He went down there, wrote a piece for us, and he said a lot of the farms down in southern Mexico employed Guatemalan illegal aliens because these were jobs Mexicans won't do. <laughs> so, That's so funny. they have some of the very similar problems to us, and. Um, when that first caravan or the first few caravans came through, some of them did go all the way to Tijuana. I think they were, did that on purpose because of L.A. had, a, you know, the media market was there. You'd be able to get more media. And the people in Tijuana, the Mexicans in Tijuana, were, were fed up with these folks because they're foreigners. They're not Mexicans. And so they organized demonstrations and the mayor at the time of Tijuana, he lost since, he made up a red baseball cap that said, make Tijuana great again. Uh, And that was, I mean, that resonated with folks. So it's, there's some of the similar problems, whether it's crime, whether it's job competition, what have you, it's just that Mexico is always, has always been able to fob these people off on us. Whereas once they get here, most of the time, we can't just push them on and go into Canada. They end up staying here. So the problems are similar. And I think Mexico is learning that they can't just sort of wave these people through without consequences, that they need to work with us and do a better job of stopping people from getting into Mexico in the first place.
0: Now, do you see governors handling the immigration situation, either governors or House members or senators handling it differently post Trump. What do you see as the difference between, I'll call it A T, or B T, the era right. before Trump or an after Trump? How how do you see yeah, politicians that, handling it differently?
4: There's no question. Republican politicians are taking this issue more serious than they used to, um, because some of them because they actually believe it, and some of them because they realize politically necessary. Now, there's still a fair part of the Republican establishment that's terrible on immigration. But, you know, Chamber of Commerce, Libertarian, let everybody in, folks. But it's the center of the party, not just the voters, I think, but even institutionally, the party has has become much more hawkish on immigration. And that's good. The other thing, though, is that For the Democrats, even before Trump, this was happening, but Trump accelerated it, where they have gone completely off the deep end on immigration. Republicans have got a little more hawkish on average. Democrats have have just literally gone insane. And, you know, it's not just immigration. It's, you know, castrating little boys, all the other perverse and bizarre stuff that now you have to believe to be a Democratic politician. But one of those things is that immigration limits are immoral, that anybody who comes to the border has to be let in, and they actually believe that. And it's not just a handful of cranks anymore on the Democrat side. This is the Democratic Party position. So, you know, if uh, DeSantis, for instance, ends up winning next time, he's going to have his work cut out for him because the Democrats, there's just nobody to talk to on the Democrat, nobody to work with on the Democrat side anymore.
0: Well, and last question, Mark, just i know you don't know for sure because it's a conjecture but do you have a sense could a republican run for president and not take a fairly you know serious anti insane immigration policy could, could he take the same position as the gang of eight republicans took before do you think
4: no you What's No your... way anybody like there's no way anybody like that could ever get nominated again in the republican party i mean that, i can guarantee you that now, they may not be as, you know, a full-spectrum restrictionist as I'd like, I don't know, but there's no way that somebody like Jeb or, you know, Marco Rubio, back when he was pushing the Gang of Eight, nobody with that kind of position would get, you know, ha- would get to square one in Republican primaries today.
0: Marco Corian, thanks for the great conversation. CIS.org is the Center for Immigration Studies website. We'll be back with more backstory after this message. And we're live from the Empire of Lies for the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, this is The Backstory. It's always great to have Mark Corian on, isn't it, Rod, What do you say?
1: Yeah, no, Mark's a, a fountain of knowledge on this immigration. And uh, it was interesting to hear his take on uh, or if we would uh, adopt the point system, you know, and he fears uh, if the left gets a hold of it, they'll just lower the point system. So it's interesting to hear that.
0: Yeah, and I see his point, but I still think it would be... It. I, I think it's an interesting idea, and I don't hear it discussed much.
1: Do you? It's racially, Uh You know, I, I ask people who say, you know, uh, you know, when they talk about the U.S. immigration system and, you know, we should have just allow all these people in. I said, well, why don't you try to illegally walk into Canada? You know, I went to school in Minnesota at the very north tip of Minnesota, and I knew people who... From the previous semesters you know talked about sneaking into Canada and you know I had thought about it you know doing because there's like bars and stuff that they go to up there and I, th- I thought but I was like but if you get caught you get deported back to wherever you're from so all my stuff with the state of Minnesota I got sent back to Pennsylvania and all you know what I'm saying so I was like nah it's not it's not worth yeah. it
0: yeah I've had more trouble getting into Canada than any country and Shane my son former co-host of the back of uh, fall lines on this network Shane was once almost deported from England. Did you hear that
1: story? Yeah, I remember you telling. Uh, you gave him advice on what to say when you get up there, and he, you know, he didn't he didn't take the advice, and got him a little trouble. You almost a little. Tr-
0: right. And coming after this hour, we're pleased to have Tyler Nixon as our guest on the Backstory. Now, Owl Killer, I see you out there on the switchboard. Hang on one second. I want to just. The other big headline I thought was yesterday was an election day. And mostly there's no drama. But in San Francisco, the DA, Chesa Aboudin, was rejected and recalled. And do you know why I'm thinking that's significant, Rod? I think we're finally seeing the limits that even a liberal city like San Francisco has, where enough crime and enough insanity, they'll eventually, Cheza Boudin is a liberal's liberal. And I'll talk about Soros back, his mother was in the White Underground, and then a family. His mother, Kathy Boudin, a domestic terrorist, and his adoptive parents are Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. And I'll talk more about Cheza We're taking Owl Killer's call. Let's go to the phones. 202, 521, 1320. Owl Killer, what's on your mind?
5: You know, if some when somebody would ever take a look at the immigration numbers um, during the Great Depression, you'll see that there there were quotas from not only immigration quotas like total, but from certain numbers that you would take from a certain from each country. And I know a bunch of my relatives got stuck in Italy in the early 1900s. They were not able to follow um, my uh, great grandfather over here. So it, 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 that was American immigration policy up until uh, Ted Kennedy had it reversed. Um,
0: well, because because let me just interrupt you for say i I've said this before, and I mean it. It is a liber- It is a leftist position. If you're sane, and you want entitlements. And you want free education for people and free health care, let's say you have to limit it. you can't say we'll have free health care and free education, and anyone can come in the country because you can't sustain that for everybody right makes sense al killer so you're
5: you're looking at it from a rational perspective of somebody that actually wants what they say they want i i'm I'm done I'm with brave I'm done with uh Thinking that these are just inept people, I think they would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven, and it's the same thing with American cities. They have no intention of fixing the cities because the same people wouldn't be elected for a hundred years and not repair the American cities they want they want an underclass of people, and that's what that's what they want with the illegal immigration because even, and I'm, 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 I also think the same thing for legal immigration that we should uh, reevaluate it. But the illegal immigration, in particular, where th- when Trump made that made the concession that he will legalize everybody that's here, if they from the border wall, they didn't do it because it's not. They want that permanent underclass to always. It, it's basically it's just another club to pull out America's heart, heart, uh, heartstrings, and then also, I mean, how many illegal immigrants were protesting uh, when Trump ran for office in 2016? It, it was, there were thousands throughout the country that were doing that, and no other country would put up with it. So I, I well, think... I,
0: and also, this is another leftist position. It encourages workers who make less money and have less controls and projections. In other words... If you're in favor of unions, you should be opposed to legal immigration. does that make sense al killer
5: of, of course it is, but it, I, I again, so i mean union initially that's what you would think, but unions are able i just just go take a look at New York city uh, and you'll see eight people doing the job of one person. Unions are there. It, it, it's just another racket. I think everything in this world is a racket, and that what I see going on with this country is, it, it, you know, let's go back to mob analogies in The Sopranos where uh, one of Tony's high school friends um, gets in debt to him um, from card games and they take over Ramsey Outdoor Sporting, and they take over his store, and it's, they, I'm sure they stole it from Goodfellas where they just take all his products and they sell it out the back. They they run his credit all the way up till he till basically he's bankrupt and they force him to go bankrupt and they're selling the stuff all out the back. That's what this is right now. They, um, this is a fire sale in the country where they, they're just going for broke. That's why they'll send forty billion dollars to Ukraine here. What's another seven hundred million there? Um, that, that's why they'll run two trillion dollar uh, deficit. Like I think they I think they realize that. They're done with this country, and that this is is going back to the the Great Reset. And I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where how long have they been talking about global warming is going to cause immigration is going to cause waves of immigration? You know, they don't let these countries industrialize and be able to sustain and support themselves. And they have they I don't blame them for wanting to seek a better life, but. We're creating these world conditions. I mean, if you're worried about immigration, you think a war i mean I saw some somewhere where there's almost eight million displaced in ukraine if If immigration is your concern, you think that might be something you want to limit is creating conditions that start stuff like like a war you know they they want it, they want the displacement, they want the chaos it's you can't be that inept. you'd have to get something right at some point
0: well the sequence you're talking about for the sopranos. There was a sequence similar to that in Goodfellas. Remember the bartender under the bar, like a tiki bar, and they took over the bar, but they stole that. It's, Goodfellas is based on a true story. Nick Fletcher wrote the book, and the mob got that technique from Meyer Lansky. What they realized was when people were getting in debt to them, let's say you're a degenerate gambler. It used to be the mob would break your legs, Right. Pay your debts, or we'll break your legs. Then they realize, if they break your legs, you're not much use to them. But if they say we're taking over your business, they can make more money. Absolutely. And it's an organized crime technique that organized crime under Lansky developed. So, I'm sure you're familiar with some of that, uh, Al Killer. And you know what I'm talking about. This is something that the mob does. And 100%. I think every three. the analogy for foreign policy I'll make is Ukraine gets in hot IMF loans, right? The IMF loans allow them to, and then you basically own that government, and then you can use it for anything you want.
5: They did. It, they Corrupt- did the, they, thats what they do. Is they and they know that these loans can never be paid back because the, the to pay them to pay the loans back. You have to take that money out of circulation. That's the game. They create the money out of thin air. They lend it to you, and you got to pay it back with interest. The money can never be repaid, and they, that's what it is. It, that it's, pred, it's, it's predatory, and you know I, I, I'm, I'm 100% serious when I say this. You all three-letter agencies end with a vowel. And I'm Italian, so I can say this. They all end with a vowel. And to me, Democrats and Republicans are and crips with suits and nukes. That, that's what I see. It, it's, all, it's all gangsterism. And, you know, you, they want to talk something like gun control. I identify as Ukrainians. I, you know, <laughs> if you're going to send weapons to the Ukrainian, just identify as Ukrainian. You know, it, it's fine over – you're able to sell arms and, you know, to the rest of the world. And, you know, we, we're talking about gun control for the American people. It's bizarre.
0: Great phone call, i call Let me let me let me go. I want to talk about Chesbrough Boudin a little bit and some of his background. Chesbrough Boudin was elected a few years ago as the DA of San Francisco, one of the country's big cities. And Chesbrough Boudin, on paper, was a liberal's dream, was a leftist dream. His mother was Kathy Boudin, part of the Weather Underground who went and joined with a group called The Family in the 80s after they killed some cops, went further underground. But she had a baby named Cheza. And Cheza, its an unusual name. Cheza Budin is named after Joanne Chesimard, also known as Asada Shakur. Let me try to say it again. I haven't tried it out since the stroke. But Asada Shakur. Asada Shakur is one of the heroes of the Black Lives Matter movement, and specifically one of the heroes of Patrice Cullors, Opal Thumetti, and Alicia Garza, the founders of Black Lives Matter. Who is Assashicor? Shoes with the group called the Black Liberation Army. And the BLM, or Black Liberation Army, was an offshoot of the Black Panthers. And the Black Panthers... They talked about killing cops a lot and they killed cops, but they also did other stuff like made speeches and had the free breakfast program, which is a scam, but more on that tomorrow today. But the point is, BLM was a group of people who said, let's just focus on killing cops. Let's only focus on that. And they formed the BLM specifically to kill cops. And they were very clear about it. They said, And they the first thing they did when they formed the group was killed a couple cops. And you can look that history up. Shakur was known as the queen of the Black Liberation Army. This is a group whose whole purpose was to kill cops. Then she got in a shootout with New Jersey cops who pulled her over in a car with a couple of members. And now her defenders like to say, she was set up. She was not set up. She was involved in a shootout with the cops. And one way you know that, the Black Liberation Army's goal was to kill cops. And they're very clear about it. They did it a lot. And they took credit for it because they were in favor of it. So they didn't deny it at the time. So Asada Shakur took the name... Her original name was Joanne Chesimard, and that was too much of a mouthful for her. So she went with Asada Shakur. By the way, she's a godmother of Tupac. So Shakur is nonetheless not an accident. And and I'm not sure. I, I say godmother because the family relationships are a little tricky. People took on the name Shakur. And she, there's no necessary relationship between them. But Asasa fled to Cuba. She was broken out of jail by Kathy Boudin. And then Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, notorious mem- members of the Underground, adopted young Cheza Boudin, named after Cheza Mard. So Cheza Boudin grew up with Bernardine Dorn and Bill Ayers. And knowing his mother was Kathy Boudin. She was in prison and she was pardoned. I forget who exactly, I think it was the governor of New York. I think Governor Cuomo. And she went on to become a law professor at Columbia University. And Jessica Boudin was elected with George Soros money. And as I say, if you're, a liberal uh, leftist in San Francisco, Chesapeake is like the golden child. Do you remember the Andy Murphy movie reference? He's got a pedigree named after a notorious cop killer. Who better to be DA of your city? So that's some of the background on Chesapeake and the BLM and a little bit about the Panthers. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. 521 1320 did you say brave? Okay, brave. If you're out there, call back. I'm done with the the stuff I want to get through. But Rob, you know most of that history because we've talked about before, right? On Cesare Boudin.
1: Yeah, you've talked about it, and I've actually seen uh, what's the paper out in San Francisco? San Francisco is it the Chronicle? Chronicle, Chronicle. Yeah, i, I admit to it too. You know, without any trying to hide it either, about uh Chesa Boudin, his mother, and Bill Ayers. So I've seen, and- I've seen a. Uh, you yeah, I've
0: seen people talk about it. He very much has the leftists, and it's not even liberal, it's leftists. He's a prison abolitionist, like Angela Davis. He believes in prison abolition. We have a great call, 202 Someone else who knows a lot about this stuff, but takes a different perspective, I think. Malik, go ahead.
6: Hey there, thanks for taking my call.
0: Um, yeah, of course, I Malik. Mean,
6: obviously, I, yeah. Obviously, I, I want to obviously respond to you know some of your stuff on the, the BLA. I won't even I won't even uh, differ with you on on some of the things that you're you, you know in reference to the the Weather Underground. Um, all all I would say is, you know, in terms of of your assertion that the Black Liberation Army that their sole purpose was to kill police. I mean, obviously. You know, they you know, they would take
0: issue with that. Um, I you know, I don't th- Mal, Mal, let me just say, I don't think they take issue with it. The BLM was started as a group, they're not doing no breakfast program. They did two things. They robbed drug dealers to raise money. They committed larceny and dro- robbed drug dealers in whatever people may have an opinion that's okay. But that's what they did. And they were very clear on it. And I could find your statements. I don't have them offhand, but they're very clear. Their purpose was to kill cops.
6: Well oh, no, well I, I, I know I know former members of the of the BLA personally. Um and and so and when, I'm not I'm not even going to deny that an aspect of uh of Panthers on the run who went underground uh and decided that uh they were going to engage in, in armed struggle in. and and here's the thing also that needs to be understood that move wasn't supported uh largely by uh the chap- other chapters around the country and in particular the leadership uh in uh on, on the west coast it wasn't it wasn't it was largely supported by Huey Newton uh and and Bobby Seal and, and many others um and and there was even by that time, a uh, somewhat of an ideological distinction. uh, And and obviously, there was there was splits between the party by that time. Um, Much of that, the, the FBI being behind that and that being a part of COINTELPRO. But what I'm saying in terms of uh, uh, members of the BLA uh, may be differing with what you're saying. Is I, I don't think they would deny that an aspect of what they were doing was to engage in in armed struggle uh, and engage, uh, you know, in particular the NYPD and 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 and, and uh, uh, police for the police forces in general. Um, but what they would say is, is that that was a natural progression considering that the above groundwork of the party, uh, which and, – and, and in terms of what you're saying about the breakfast program, the breakfast program uh, was used as and, – and, and the party didn't deny that the breakfast programs were survival programs but were also used as means to politically educate Uh, the the community uh, to create revolutionary consciousness, Uh, and they would argue also that an aspect of them engaging in armed struggle with NYPD was to actually even further uh, revolutionary consciousness and actually uh, spur um, the proletariat and I'm sure, and you know, you're, you're aware of that term, the criminal, the, the criminal element, to become the revolutionary pro, proletariat, and and also take up arms against uh, police, uh, the police who were engaged and continue to this day to be engaged in repression in the black community.
0: Now, Malik, I think I think we're saying the same thing. You agree the B.L.A. and I said I misspoke. I said B.L.M. So thanks for correcting me. But the B.L.A. Uh, was a militant faction. Offshoot of the Black Panthers that focus on that uh, what you call armed struggle, I'm called killing cops, but we mean the same thing. Would you agree, Malik?
6: Well, if if we want to if we want to look at it in a, in a simplistic sense, uh, would we would we say that what the the police uh, the the police engage in in this country is is uh, containment? Um, uh, containment and repression of of poor people, particularly Black people. If we were going to look at it in a, a simplistic sense, yeah. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not being, I'm not just being, you know, trying to be silly. But do you understand what I'm
0: saying? Well, yeah, I, I do. But specifically with the armed struggle, they weren't in favor of, for instance, attacking military bases. What they did was, and what what, what did BLA? What was their first action on Malcolm's birthday?
6: I, I'm not. I'm not certain that that was, but but you you may I, you may uh,
0: you may be right about that. I'm not certain of that. I th- I I think that date. I forget. I think it's May something. Malcolm's birthday is coincidentally the same day as something else in history, and I forget what it is. It's like I I I'm making this up. and I'm probably wrong on specifics, but it's like Ho Chi Minh's birthday too, or it's some day. Does that make sense? Made as well yeah and so the first action was on that day which had significance for them and it was killing two police officers in i think san francisco and they came out and announced this is the first action of the black liberation army and in the same way the weather the weather was a militant split off from the students for democratic society i i this. That's why I'm making the, the equivalent. But good point. Good point. I don't know that that's true, me Yeah, well, uh, look look at the statement that they made on that day. And I, I, I wish I could remember the day specifically. But it was a significant day. And I could find the reference. A very good book that I've read in this is Days of Rage. And I've had the author on the show before. But all that stuff is documented. And the, the statement that they issued on that is very clear about why they're – because a lot of these groups were very clear and very good about saying, we formed this group, and here's why. And, you know, the Panthers, they, they sometimes said arm struggle, but sometimes they just said off the pigs. They are very clear about that when that's what they were advocating. But well, the they, Panthers – Can I say yeah, one ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Malik. I, I want to get to brave. Brave, hold on one second. I want Malik to finish your point here.
6: No, real quick. Now, to paint a historical picture for people who you know who are you know really don't know a whole lot about that time, in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area, there were there were lots of groups, and you know there were and, and there were a lot of groups that weren't even directly tied to political movements, but were criminal elements and reactionaries and and wanted, you know, oftentimes would commit crimes uh in the name of the Panthers or the, the you know uh, you know the the Weather Underground or you know or the Black Liberation Army and they would not be connected with them at all. As a matter of fact there were a string of killings of wealthy whites in the Bay Area in I believe the early seventies and People believed that it was the Black Liberation Army, and, and, you know, and obviously the people who were committing the acts didn't, you know, didn't do anything to, you know, to, you know, um, to, you know, dissuade people from believing that, and, and people, you know, believed it because there was that, you know, there was a, a hysteria at the time, and obviously it was the height of a lot of quote-unquote revolutionary struggle in this country.
0: We're talking about zebra killings?
6: I, I don't know that that's the name, but I know that there was a string of, of home home invasions, uh, and and a lot of people believe that these were you know these were acts of of the political left, and it and it wasn't.
0: Now the thing I'm talking about when they took credit for it, that was the black Panther Black Liberation Army, because it announced their existence, and that clearly was, and I think we know who did it, in fact. But uh, great call, Malik. Always like talking to you. Thanks for the call. 202 1320 closes out on this. Brave.
7: I would just say that, um, first of all, I appreciate, um, of, as always, I appreciate Malik and I Will Killers' calls. I agree with both of them. Um, I don't even think I need to say anything else. But well, well, uh, if I can just tap real quick on Malik's call, only thing I would add to that um, is that it, there seems to be a tendency to um, discuss these, let, let's say, when outside parties or conservative parties or parties other than Black people. I'm just going to be, be honest and say, right? have this conversation? They tend to. Um, there seems to be a tendency to have that conversation within the, as if those those things happened within a vacuum, and they did not. So I think it, I think it requ- having that conversation requires that you look at what the opposition was doing at that time. So Black people were at war in this country at that time. So why? It, it, to me, it makes sense that Black people would would practice self-defense. Black people would would be militant. And I, I would have to also say that. I think the reason, that that the black community suffers to this day is because of the subversion of our um, of of the black movement, the Black Power movement, which led to the voter right movement, right, the 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 um, softening of the militancy, if I could say it like that, right. And then to to touch on um, on uh, our killer's point, out. He is specifically correct. What what is the point of having a conversation about—what is the point of having a conversation about immigration, immigration laws, health uh, care for all, all, Medicare for all, or any of these things, if we we first can't have the conversation that he did persist in, that this country, the, the, the elite of this country, the rulers of this country are purposely destroying it? It is not because they are stupid. It is not because they are inept or incapable. These actions are purposeful. Right, so there's no point in discussing, in my opinion, there's, it's, great for, it's great for conversation and, and intellectual conversation, but why have a conversation about what uh, of, of what um, immigration should be when over the course of decades we can look back and see that it was purposely kept the way it was at a standstill by both parties purposely, right? So what's the point of arguing whether it should be or should be that way? But I agree with everything that, Violet, that um, Al-Killer said uh, as far as his stances of immigration matters not. And I agree with, with a large bit of it, but it matters not because the elites are hell-bent on or oh, better yet, the robber barons are hell-bent on scraping the bottom of the pot. And so we all argue over these things, liberal, conservative, and all of these things, right, that we'll never get a chance to, to even touch on in the first place. So I think as long as we have the conversation and the framing, that in this continue framing as if giving them the benefit of the doubt that like they intend on doing a job or they would do the job if they had the ability or they were more capable, I think we'll continue
0: to lose. And I'll just leave it at that. OK, thanks to the call, Brave a good call as usual. And let me just say that the problem is that the left falls for these arguments about immigration every single time. And they they blame Republicans and they tell lies like it's racist to be concerned about immigration. And it's not, and it is not helped the working people. If that's your concern, blame the leftists who pin it on Republicans every time and say it's fake news and racism and everything else joining us after this a great american tyler nixon on the backstory The backstory. 105.5 FM AM thirteen ninety in the Washington DC area. We're joined now by the great Tyler Nixon. Hey Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing well, Lee. Thanks for having me. So I wanna start with this Boudin thing. Here's a son of radicals elected with Soros Money, and he's defeated in San Francisco. Now did you see his excuse? He said Republican money.
8: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I saw that. Mm -hmm. You know, how bad do you have to be? How ridiculously leftist do you have to be to have San Francisco voters? I mean, perhaps the most progressive, uh, ultra-liberal voting base to to boot your ass. I mean, honestly. And then to blame it on the – like as if the progressives in San Francisco – Listen to anything that Republicans have to say whatsoever and would be influenced by Republican billionaires or whatever it is. I mean, this, this, this is the craven, this is the kind of craven nonsense you get where just never, these people never accept accountability. They never, ever will stand to account for what, you know, the results of their uh, harebrained policies, nor the fact that they have pissed off even their most uh, uh, sympathetic, whatever you have you uh politically or ideologically aligned base i mean and and you know this just good riddance to this guy i mean i hope he's never heard from again he was a disgrace to i mean frankly as a california attorney i'm disgusted by these people who think they have the discretion to simply disregard and pick and choose which laws they uh they are enforcing when that's their that's their job i mean and i'm certainly not a pro-prosecution person myself whatsoever i think there's a lot of crooked prosecutors but these guys take it to a new level these elected DAs that are just Soros-funded—I mean, what kind of it boggles my mind that anyone would would uh, want to be involved with, or or as far as like electing a public official uh, that is funded or in any way connected to some international criminal like George Soros—it it, just—it's insane. And frankly, there ought to be—they uh, had a they had a scarlet letter. These people with Soros' name because he is an absolute fascist and a monster. And and it's like, what is this? robber baron this international uh, communist robber baron doing interfering in what are local elections in the united states and i think we know just like he did you with know, other countries when he was a currency manipulator to collapse us
0: and tyler i think it's fair to say you're libertarian leaning
8: conservative is that right absolutely yeah more libertarian probably than conservative but i think uh, you know libertarians so- go a little bit uh yeah Right, so ideologically, I almost consider myself an anarchist in the true sense of that word. Uh, not an- people confuse, and they're called anarchists. I, I just don't believe that. I think there's a very uh, high-level illegitimacy to the contrivances of power. That you know, there is no true. I mean, sure, you can get a mob together to vote in uh, laws, to vote in representatives. But ultimately, they don't have any authority, but what their moral authority is. Uh, which is very little lately.
0: But you see the problem. What Jesse Boudin did, and it's it really hurt San Francisco, where people are just going into CVS and Walgreens pharmacies and with a bag and a bike, and they just throw everything on the shelf in the bag. That's caused by lack of accountability. I'm in favor of freedom, as I think you are too. But... With freedom goes to service, ba- basic level of accountability, right? And saying yeah, we're and not going to prosecute no protect- people. Yeah, go ahead. Got
8: it. No, I mean protecting life, liberty, and property. I mean that's really what the government exists or should exist to do. And in this case, they've, you know, they made it. They made these uh, chain stores low-hanging fruit, and then of course, you know, these criminals once they're emboldened work their way, you know, towards people's homes. And I mean, they've, and these policies hurt. The poor, uh, even the homeless or working people, if you can find any left in San Francisco, who need those services, who need to be able to buy, you know, basic goods, uh, and not have these companies pulling out or, or, you know, turned into armed encampments, which they seem to not want to do. Uh, and, and it's just, yeah, it's disgusting and monstrous. There's absolutely no rational, logical. Moral, ethical uh, underpinning or justification for it. These, this guy is a criminal, as far as I'm concerned. And in w- in the way he has flouted the most the most basic laws of why we create a system of criminal laws, which is the vic- to prevent and punish the victimization of people, of, of innocent people, whether they own a business or just be an individual in the streets. And this is uh, you know, these scum mags are are just. I mean, they're not. They're not sort of pro-reform or or, or uh, in any way humane or humanitarian. They're pro-criminal, and that's there's no two ways about it.
0: Now, something that's going along in parallel with that we've talked about at various points during today's show. I noticed the other thing that the left and Democrats are trying to do is make self-defense illegal. And I, I an example would be Kyle Rittenhouse. Example would be uh, I, I even take the news today that there's someone with a knife outside, Supreme Court justices aren't safe in their own house. I think that that's what's clear. And I think the Democrats are opposed to self-defense. And I'm not so much in favor of guns, but except as a means of self-defense. I think the meaning of the Second Amendment is that people can defend themselves, right? And so I think that's what guns represent to a lot of people on the right, self-defense. But de- Democrats, I fear, are finding other ways to take away people's to self-defense. Do you see that concern, Tyler?
8: Oh, well, I mean, look, again, they're pro-criminal. They don't want to prosecute people who are victimizing uh, uh, innocent people, innocent citizens, yet dare you push back, dare you fight back dare you take down one of these uh, lawless scumbags and you're the criminal. Suddenly you're you know, in their minds, the real criminal. Uh, and it's just total insanity um, and it's completely unsustainable and people will not stand for it. And I'll tell you this, you say self-defense. And yes, I agree. The second amendment is for self-defense, but you know, it certainly not, wasn't created for hunting and target shooting. I mean, that's just a, a ridiculous uh, diversion, distraction, complete distortion, misunderstanding the constitution. But I would state it's not just for individual self-defense ultimately it's for collective self-defense against tyranny and that's why this notion that you don't need an ar-15 you don't need this first of all any government that tells you what you need or don't need in terms of your either individual or collective self-defense is tyranny and that would dare to take those weapons away the whole purpose of the second amendment was literally to enable a citizenry as a deterrent i mean this is this notion that oh well you have to fight f-15s and you know uh predator drones and, and whatever, you know, the army infantry in order to for, for the Second Amendment to be effective as a backstop against tyranny. It's just lunacy. There's a deterrent factor where they're not, you know, let's face it, we are a lot freer because we have an armed citizenry, whether people want to admit it or not. And uh, let me tell you something, God forbid, they'll never, uh, they'll never accomplish, it, but let's say hypothetically they ever were to be able to disarm the citizenry, people would realize exactly just how free they have been uh, because of the Second Amendment when it's all gone And you have this unitary national fascist police state run by the likes of complete
1: brain dead
8: uh, uh, ideologues or blowhards, not even ideologues, opportunistic uh, fascist megalomaniacs like Biden and his ilk. And, And they are on the loose and they have nothing to prevent them, nothing to stop them other than literal citizen uprising from enacting every bit of like control freak. Uh, measure and just tyrannical insinuation that they can possibly conjure a la the CCP and the communist Chinese uh, uh, just tyranny that's run over there who, you know, obviously you look at a Trudeau up there who praises that as he, uh, you know, out of one side of his mouth as he disarms or attempts to disarm the Canadian citizenry. So, no, I, yeah, th- this this idea that you can't defend yourself or that you shouldn't have the means, if you have the right to defend yourself, then you have the right to the means to defend yourself, both individually and collectively. That is a constitutional principle. We are with these people in a either a constitutional, post-constitutional uh, era. And, you know, until that's restored, they do not have a legitimate government, as far as I'm concerned, in addition to having outright stolen the presidency and our government in 2020.
0: Now, I want to cap this sort of on one clip we have. Let's play Jen Saki. We talked about a man with a knife caught outside Brett Kavanaugh's house saying he was going to kill him, saying he was there to kill him in his own words. So let's play Jen Psaki a few months ago talking about protesting outside the Supreme Court Justice's house. Hit it.
8: So I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about uh, protests that have been peaceful to date. And we certainly continue to encourage that outside of judges' homes. And that's the president's position.
0: Okay. Do you think Jen Zaki and the Biden administration bear any responsibility for this guy with a knife outside Brett Kavanaugh's house? Tyler Nixon?
8: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, no question. These people have been stoking this, this rage, this, uh, hatred, just outright, you know, uh, and and irrational hatred by mischaracterizing, misportraying, defaming their opponents who dare oppose their, frankly, just pack monstrous pack of lies. That is their agenda. How they, I mean, they are just two-faced. They are deceitful, despicable people and saki to not, I mean, yet, yet, if you don't come out and, and immediately denounce something that they view as you know, their their straw men opponent, the, the white supremacists, you know, and all this like that. What, what? I mean, give me a break. You know, this is just lunacy that they would they would on one hand have people, uh, you know, you if you don't uh, uh, if you don't pronounce or excuse me proclaim their agenda as yours loudly enough, then you're you know you're an insurrectionist. Yet they can have people violating federal law, trying to intimidate and menace and on a personal basis, federal judges, you know, the Supreme Court no less. And, you know, the president is in support of that. And it's like nothing, not even close to a denunciation of the fact of, like, what the purpose of this is. There's no other purpose to this. This isn't protest. This is intimidation in person. And it is violation of federal law. And it just goes, you ha- these people are zealots. They are uh, they're evil. They have no bounds whatsoever. And they will absolutely apply uh, their hypocritical standards uh, in spades to other people, while they absolutely just drive a truckload of crimes, criminal activity um, and hypocrisy right right past you, um, you know it's just I mean I'm amazed that we've sunk this far and that this ilk have risen to this level of power, and I guess when you create an unaccountable out of-control spendthrift um, just completely lawless and self-serving self-dealing uh, you know whether we call it the bureaucracy, the Leviathan superstate. Of course, you're going to attract psychopaths who want to be able to, like Biden, spend their lives shooting their mouths off, never actually working and or accomplishing anything, lying their way through their their public life uh, as they, you know, literally view themselves as sort of these scions of the righteousness of the uh, of you know the, the way things should be, and they are the protectors of the people and of of law. And it's it's just, I mean. I mean, they are more counterfeit than a $3 bill, or bogus than a $3 bill. And, uh, you know, something's got to give because I'm telling you what, and, and I just think they ought to take. And, you know, what's crazy is I just think they're so arrogant and consumed by their own sense of righteousness um, and entitlement that they can't recognize how far gone they are. So, therefore, you have 80% or whatever it was of the San Francisco, you know, the hardest core progressive. Uh, leftist, uh, maybe liberal i don 't I hate to use that term, I think they've bastardized it, but you know voting out this wacko da and they still i mean this guy still stands there and will not will not be in any way absorb the message or the lesson, so you know they can count on and of course and I'm sure they're ramping up as much uh, vote theft, vote fraud, uh, all sorts of schemes and scams, just like we saw in two thousand and twenty to keep themselves there because they no longer have any sort of real popular support whatsoever, um, and I think you know the country has turned against them to the point that they're even their own base is not no longer there anymore. But they refuse to change. They all they do is double down. I mean, they are the collective psychopathy that we see in the uh, the National Democrat Party uh, uh, right now is is disturbing. I mean, it really is. It's scary that these people hold levers of power and have no holds barred. And frankly, their their proposed show trial. Uh, that they've turned into just a media circus that you know shows, reflects that it's all about trying to push their message out, I guess, and ignite something in their base by distracting from. Well, we can get into that, but I mean, you know, this, it's just it's all about. Just, I mean, they no longer care. I think about really uh, having to earn the, the support of the people or pretending even to be for working people. It's just a matter of raw power and pure will.
0: Now, now, Todd, let's get into it a little bit. I far be it from me and far be it from you to defend Republicans' knee-jerk. But I hear people say sometimes there's no difference between parties. The Democrats and Republicans is a unit party. And while I think that's true in one sense, I think it's a very real and meaningful difference. You had twenty percent of Republican senators, eleven voted against the $40 million for Ukraine. You had 57 House members. You had zero senators and zero. And and I'm not a big math whiz, but I know there's a difference between 20% and zero. If there were even one Democrat, I would think that was significant. But I think Andrew Breitbart told me in the first conversation, he said, you have more room to move as a Republican, if you want to run for office anywhere in your country, if you want to run for a representative, let's say, you could come out opposed to the Ukraine war and you would not be kicked out of the party, right? So, yeah, well, I mean, what you, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just wondering, because I, I don't want to go into there's no difference, but I think there's a huge difference practically between the Democrats. And the Republicans. They're both bad on principle, but one is evil. One is really trying to destroy democracy, and everything they do is based on lies. And that's the Democrats. It's based on blatant lies. What do you
8: say, John? I think that this, I think you're right. I think this, uni, this talk about the uniparty, I know they're just the same. That is frankly a almost a purposeful smear on the Republicans who are. Who are not of that ilk, um, in order to basically just, you know, create equivalencies so that, look, when the Democrats are committing these awful uh, deeds, misdeeds, and crimes, frankly, um, you know, you could just smear the Republicans and sort of turn anybody off from looking to them, uh, the Republican Party, as an alternative, as viable alternative, which it really only is, and or at least Republican uh, officials and candidates. Now, look, this, the soul for the part, or soul for the country, excuse me, battle for the soul of the country. Is not no longer between Democrats and Republicans. It's between Rhino Republicans and principled, uh, constitutionalist Republicans. Um, you know the Democrats, frankly, uh, you know they have they are so absolutist at this point. They are so uh, militantly ideologically. Um, they're just zealots about about their uh, um, their core ideology, if you could say. You know, other than like they have the ideology of sort of the the, the titular leftist ideals of equity and, you know, all the nonsense, the the SJW stuff they spout, but really their core ideology is maintaining, sustaining, perpetuating state power that is solely and completely in their hands alone ever. You know, they don't allow, I mean, if they had their druthers, there wouldn't be no Republican party as they, you know, we can see them trying to wipe it out. So this notion, and I've said to people, well, you know, the Republican party is no longer, if it ever was, and certainly there was a period where it wasn't. Um, where you had, like say, Reagan united it, but you know before that you had the, the diversion between, say, the Taft, Robert Taft type Republicans, uh, you know, and the more more internationalist types like the Bushes. And I think that 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 in the early 2000s, thanks to the, uh, Yeomans work and the uh, the courage of Ron Paul and others, and and frankly principled Reagan Republicans who said this bushy neocon internationalist globalist sort of uh, dem- or internationally, they're war criminals, and domestically, it's just democrat light is not the Republican Party. And it, regardless, it does not offer an alternative to Democrats. It's only marginal. They all get together when it comes to spending money, starting wars, and frankly, uh, you know, the country is owed better. And I think that the direction of the Republican Party is in that direction. You don't see, uh, you know, like a Chuck Grassley uh, you know, he won real. He won his primary. He's 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 a, a very much a throwback, but he still, I think, is nothing like say some of these uh, blow dried Republican uh, uh, just they used to call them moderates. I mean, I don't know what it's. They're not moderates. They're squishes. They're they are sellouts. I mean, of the Liz Cheney ilk, of, frankly, John Thune, and they, we know who they are. And and Trump was very instrumental, I think, in bringing this. I mean, you'd think he would have jumped in on the side of the establishment Republicans. And turned out in the end to be like a more of a Ron Paul Republican in that vein and emboldened that side of the party, the liberty oriented people, the patriots, the, the folks who think this is all just too much and out of control versus the establishment swamp creatures of many of whom he drove out of power. I mean, Jeff Flake, good riddance. You know, you saw John McCain go by the wayside and several others I can't think of. But, you know, good riddance to these Democrats uh, wearing Republican clothing, portraying themselves as Republicans. They go down and sell us out, Mitch McConnell being one, frankly. I mean, he's, he held the line. He did some good things here and there on federal judges. But I mean, he did the bare minimum that we expected of the Republican leader in the United States Senate. And frankly, it's taken Rand Paul and people like that to stand up and face down, or at least to hold their feet to the fire, uh, to get any of these uh, feckless, uh, careerist rhinos into in, you know, doing anything close to representing the true Republican values or the Republican Party, or frankly the, the large base of the Republican Party. I mean, Donald Trump saved the Republican Party from frankly being just an oblivion of light Democrat light, uh, you know, and, and frankly statist uh, heavy. You know, that just uh, they can't, they never saw a government program. I mean, they all betrayed Reagan, and then we can thank the Bushes and that you know the McCain's and that ilk who. Stuck around and are just creatures of the establishment, creatures of the system, uh, and I think we're going to see, w- and, and uh, you know, wave after wave of committed, often many veterans, uh, principled patriot, constitutionalists first, you know, Republican is, is down the line in terms of their self-description, who are taking over the Republican party uh, of all walks of life and all genders and identities and colors, whatever have you, uh, that is just going to ultimately uh, sweep away the stale. Just rotted uh, carcass of what was the, once a great party, the Democrat Party, that had John F. Kennedy, uh, you know, that had the likes of, uh, well, I can't think of any past Kennedy, but there certainly were a few good Democrats, uh, you know, over the years who, who looked after the country and its values. Now they are a, a frankly, a fifth column of sorts. They are a foreign power. Uh, they are a staging area for foreign influence and for totally antithetical. Uh, ideologies, and agendas to everything this country has ever stood for.
0: And, And they're also aligned with the deep state. And the deep state, let me make it clear, the deep state is not just the FBI and the CIA and the State Department. At this point, do you agree with me, Tyler, that the Department of Justice is part of the deep state? The DOJ, the arbiters of law in this country, have become part of the deep state.
8: They, they, unfortunately, they have co-opted, and they know which are the most sensitive and powerful agencies to have corrupted and co-opted. And it all began with the Clintons. Uh, and, you know, of course, you had in the background already the, the, the intelligence agencies. So now you have the intelligence and law enforcement agencies are corrupted, co-opted. Um, and it doesn't matter that there are good eggs in there in the basket because the leadership and, the, frankly, the entire operating premises of these agencies and and the the uh, programs that they're enacting and frankly in the Justice Department the enforcement priorities or the lack of enforcement in certain areas whereas these overzealous ridiculous enforcement in others shows you that we don't have justice I mean the fact that there are can be said to be two standards of justice at all means there is no justice and yeah they they knew what they were doing and same goes unfortunately for a lot of these Obama appointed Clinton appointed federal ju- and Bush appointed federal judges. Uh, who were more than willing to sign them out. All they are. We used to have federal judges who believed in the principles of the Constitution and, and civil rights and in human rights, and would frankly put down and rule against uh, excesses and abuses of, say, the Edgar Hoover FBI uh, or you know a Justice Department that was run by uh, you know people who, who would, would sign off on something like COINTELPRO. Pro. Um, and you had judges who frankly gave us, you know Miranda versus Arizona and secured a lot of essential. Core rights that, frankly, to this day, are the only thing that protects uh, the citizenry from being beaten down by lawless, you know, out of control, thuggish uh, enforcers that call themselves police. And you know, this this today is, I mean, it's just completely now sold down the river, sold out to uh, partisans, um, you know, with ulterior motives who just they don't even care to try to mask or sort of uh, cover up or conceal the fact that they are absolutely operating outside the law and they have just absolutely um, partisan ties that allow them to get, you know, take a sussman and let him practically walk uh, when it's now, out, absolutely no question let me, that what he did, he did.
0: Let me ask you a question, Tyler. We have, as I say, 11 senators who vote against war funding. So that's 11 senators who are moderately pro-Constitution at least, at least moderately. How many do you think we need for a tipping point where McConnell and Grassley and Thune don't have the same power anymore? I'd say it's only about—we're only about 10 away. I'd say if we had 20 or 25, certainly 25, If but if a little under half the senators were constitutionalists, patriots, that would change the balance of power in the Senate, in leadership. What number do you think it would
8: be, Tyler? Well, well, I mean, I'd like to say it's a majority of the majority. Obviously, I think anybody new coming in is going to be inclined in that direction. They're not going to be inclined to uh, being Mitch McConnell's water boy. Um, you know, I, I, the numbers, unfortunately, the, you know, every time you see the votes come up, there are far more of these establishment rhino types than you want to you want to think is true. Uh, um, but you know, I think probably we would need, you know, about here's the thing: if you have that momentum. There are ones who are marginal, I think, I think that would ultimately go with what you know the, the momentum is because they're going to look at their, their own hey, re Tyler, we're out
0: Tyler, fantastic conversation as usual. Thanks so much to Tyler Nixon for joining us, and thanks to Mark McCoy for the Center for immigration studies in the first hour. And thanks for all the great calls, Brave, Malik, Sharif, Owl Killer. We'll be back tomorrow on the best damn talk show in the world, The Backstory.